Amen. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles to where we'll start from today is 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Remember, what we are talking about is the culture of faith. And we've been trying to explain or we're trying to show to Christians that there are two sides to your blessing in life. There are two sides to what God is doing in your life. The first side is the spiritual side, but there's what is called the perfection of faith. Based on what you do outwardly, your faith is said to be perfected. Your faith is not perfect until it produces for you outwardly. Any assumption you make about your life concerning your spirituality is an assumption unless there are material things outwardly showing that those things are true. When I say material things, and I don't mean physical things now, I mean for example, if you believe, it affects your morals. If you believe, it affects the way you talk. If you believe, it affects the way you relate with people. That's what I mean by things that are outward. Very important you will bear those things in mind. If we keep on walking by what we think, we are walking in deception. Do you understand my point? It is possible to be deceiving yourself. That's why he said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. If you are going by what you know, you are walking in deception. Are you getting my point? You can only go by what is produced in your life. You understand? He said, add to your faith moral excellence. Peter was talking about that. So it's when is that moral excellence that shows you that your faith is genuine. The genuineness of your faith is shown by that. It is not shown by the fact that you have the information concerning what Jesus did for you. That is in the head. You don't know what is real, what is not real, even though you may have information, except it, how it is affecting your character, except how it is affecting the way you do things in life. That is where the truth is. The one you are thinking of can be deception. So he said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So what you have heard, what is inside your head, is not what proves that your faith is alive. It's only what it produces in your life. Now, so that's what we've been looking at. Let's look at First John chapter 4. So that's what we're talking about, the culture of faith. I want to read a long portion here. I don't know if I, what I have to read today is quite long. Um, let's just start from verse 7. Let's start from verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, in case he thinks he knows God, is a lie. He doesn't know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What that means is that people can only see God in us. No one has seen God at any time, but they can only see God how? In us. So we need, to, and how would they see God in us? Through the love we have for one another. He said, by this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen 
and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, he says, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. He says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, notice this verse 20. Now, verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. That is, if he cannot love his brother, whom he has seen, he cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. These last two verses are the reasons why I read everything from verse 7. And uh, what I want to bring out again to us is this. We have been talking about the fact that what we do outwardly is important. And I want to go on today to look at one aspect of what we do. And you will see from scriptures that relationships are very important to God. Relationships are very important to God. We're going to switch from here to Ephesians chapter, well, we'll read from Ephesians, start from chapter 4 in a moment. What I want to bring out here is that you see what John was saying, that people often profess to love God. But John says that the emphasis is wrong because the love for God that they are professing most of the times is not true. And John is saying, how do we know it's not true? Because they don't even love the people that are beside them. Are you getting my point here? That is, spiritual things are not real unless they are demonstrable physically. We just need to know how to demonstrate them. And of course, we have to be careful of hypocrisy. So we'll not, we'll not say because hypocrisy exists, we'll not discuss what is real to do. You're getting my point, all right? I remember once I was talking to some women, this was long ago before I got married, and I was talking about how you should talk to your husband and all of that. And I guess some of this revelation, I understood some of this long before I got married. In fact, the first article I wrote on how to find the wife was like seven years before I married. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> Between six and seven years before I married, I wrote an article on how to find a wife. Can you believe that? And you know, I wrote that article. I started by saying that I'm not married. So those of you who want to abuse me, that what do I know? No. I quoted scripture. <laughs> I quoted from Job that there is a spirit in man and inspiration of God gives him understanding that the experience are not always wise. I quoted that's why I'll be able to talk. Because I knew that everybody who was going to read that were published in the magazine. So I knew they would know that. What is this boy writing? What does he know? I married like six or seven years after that. The Lord is good. Anyway, one of those days I was talking to some ladies and just were chatting. And I still said some things to them. When I said, even if you do that to your husband, it does not mean you respect him. I, also, I said to her, it also does not mean you don't respect him. I don't know whether you get my point. <laughs> I said, it is the right thing to do. You understand? 
It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of high regard for the person that's supposed to be your husband. I said, so that's what you are supposed to do. And I heard him, I said, listen, don't be arguing when you want to do, when you don't want to do something. Yeah. I'm going to say something here. We know there's hypocrisy. We know that. But we are believers. We are not supposed to be hypocrites. What we are saying that what exists spiritually can only be shown by what we manifest in our daily walk. John was emphasizing to us that there is no love for God if there's no love for the person on your left or your right. I hope you're getting my point here. You can't claim to love God because, you see, saying I love God is very abstract. That's what John was saying. You understand? You don't know whether it is true or false. Truly, God never needs your help. So you can't tell whether you will help him if he needed it. You are getting what I'm saying? Uh, there was one woman I heard the story that she, her child was sick or something, and she was praying. I said, God, help me. You know if it was you that was in this situation and I was God, I will help you. <laughs> you understand? It's easy to say that. Are you getting my point? I know I heard that thing. It sounded so nice those days when we heard it. You know, the truth is that what God will say to that woman is that there's no problem. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to show up. Let's see whether you will help me. And he will show up as the least of the brethren. Do you follow my point? He will show up as the least of the brethren. He will never show up as God because he knows everybody will want to invest in God. <laughs> it's true. Is that not what we do in churches today? We're always trying to give an offering there. We don't love people. We really don't love God. God is an investment project. And you know, his, his, his shares are always good. You know, the stock, the price always increases. His dividends are good. You know, when he pays dividends, it will be very, very good. So when we are giving, we are not really giving to God. We are investors. Let me say it again. That's why many of us, we have not received anything. Because we, have, we never give to him. We are investors. And he says it doesn't work like that. And I say to people all the time, if you want to check your giving life, if you see it's only when, when pastor says who wants to give an offering, if that's the only time you give, you are not generous. You are not giving to God. You are lying. All the giving you have been giving is not working. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. You want to know whether it's working? It has to be all round. Whether pastor calls for an offering or not, you are a giver. You see a need, you give towards it. People who are not even in your church, you have given to them. Your friends know that they can call for help from you and you will respond. You get my point? You look back. That's how your life has been. That is true love for God. Now, so, like I was saying, John was trying to emphasize that to us. Was trying to emphasize that to us. If we really love God, it will show in our relationships. It is not what we think about God that is abstract. That is, we can't see him. He's in the spirit. He's not physical. That is not what shows that we love. It is what we do around. It's what we do physically. That is a sign of love. Let's bear that in mind. Now, we'll be explaining that God says, no matter what I have prepared for you in heaven... It will not manifest except the earthly conduit pipes, the earthly connections are in order. And what we are going on to look at today, we'll look at a number of things. Last time we talked about that uh, spirit, the extraordinary spirit of Daniel. Now I want to talk about the relationships we have in life. They are very important to God. They are very, very, very important. I noticed that Paul, go back to, the, please quickly flip over to the book of Ephesians. You know, we said that Paul used to teach in two levels. He will start by teaching, explaining um, the spiritual. He will explain the fact that our blessings are there. They are spiritual. He said, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We have that in Christ Jesus. And that is real. They haven't talked like that for some time. He will now switch over to talking about the outward manifestations. 
which are the signs that our faith, all right, is real. He says, so I said, if you go, like, uh, Ephesians chapter 7, uh, 4, is in verse 17, that Paul switched. Before that point, he has spoken a lot about spiritual things. Before that point, he has spoken a lot about things that are found in the realm of the spirit. He now said, for that reason, let's go on to the outward manifestations of the things that are in the realm of the spirit, which we must walk by if we are going to receive that which is not physical, but which is real. He says, so this I say, verse 17, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, excluded because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, that is, walking according to the flesh, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That is, he said that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Let me just stop reading here. Okay, let me read verse 23. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and then you do all of that, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, just to read this again, to let us know that there is a manner of life that is in keeping with Christianity. There is a manner of life that is in keeping with godliness. If we are believers, it must reflect in our manner of life. Paul said it here, people who are unbelievers, people who are ignorant of the way of the Lord, you've discovered that they have become callous and have given themselves over to walking according to the flesh, practicing every kind of impurity and walking in greed. You see, they love money. They are sexually immoral. Sometimes they come into church and continue behaving like that. Then they tell you that once they are saved, their salvation is intact. The truth is that they don't want to repent. The truth is that they are actually not saved. That is the truth. The truth is that they don't know God. If they did, it will reflect in their lives. But they go and hide where people say to them, the grace of Christ covers every negative thing that you are doing. They say they don't realize that that grace actually, what it does is to make you repent. It does not make you continue in your sins saying that you are okay. What the grace does is to give you the power to repent. What the grace does is to give you the power to do that which is right. You understand what I'm saying? It is the people of the world that are supposed to walk in, in the love of money and in sexual immorality. But for Christians, he says that they've been taught the truth of Jesus and they are supposed to be found in him walking according to a new life, walking according to righteousness and walking according to what? Holiness. That is just what Christianity is. There is no Christianity if it does not produce righteousness. The Christianity is fake if it does not produce holiness in the people that are claiming to be believers. It's fake. It is fake. I'm sorry to say, many of our churches are totally fake. They are fake. Listen, listen. They are fake. Let's not hide behind this grace. That was not, that's not what the Bible calls grace. Please, let's get it clear. One day, a sister told me that at ah, this particular church I like, oh, 
I love their worship. Oh, their worship is wonderful. But the problem is that they are dishonest people and they are immoral people. I said, that is not worship they are doing. That is singing. You love their music. Worship is not the song we sing on Sundays. How can you claim that you do good worship, yet your reputation is covetousness and sexual immorality? That is not worship. The true worship of God tackles those things in your life automatically. True worship will straighten you out. Even if you don't want to straighten out deliberately, you will straighten out by virtue of the fact that the worship is true. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. You will straighten out whether you want to or not. Whether you deliberately want to or not. If indeed the worship is true. Many of our churches are fake. That is a matter of fact. So, this is our lifestyle. I'm going to come back to this later. I just feel like uh, if I start on it, I will not get to the main thing I want to say today. Because we will break this lifestyle down. Uh, Paul said that we should lay aside falsehood. We should begin to speak truth, each one with, another, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. He told us to watch our anger. So as not to give the devil an opportunity. So make sure you don't steal. You don't defraud people. There are different ways. Many people say, I don't steal. There are people, look. Later on, we'll get there. I'll come back to it later. I'll show you how honest people steal. Yes. There's a story I tell my wife once in a while. There's a guy I knew those days. He comes to borrow money from you. He knows you are going abroad tomorrow. He borrows money from you today. What is the idea? He knows you can't collect it back. Christians steal. I will talk about that later. Let me not talk about it now. It is stealing when you go and buy what you know you can't afford from your brother, member of your church. The man is a car dealer. Bro, give me a car. I'll pay you small, small. You know all the money you are earning today. If you put it together for the next five years, it can't pay for the car. Yet you collect it. And he's thinking that, of course, he doesn't have experience with Christians yet. If he wants to go to church, you're a saint. And I says, look, look at it. I'm giving you all the money. Listen. Why did you collect the car? He said, I was buying it by faith. You're not buying it by faith. You're buying it by greed. It's stealing. It is stealing. But we'll, get to, we'll come back to it later. Like I always say, when you want to use your faith, use your faith in your life. Don't use it in my life. I don't know whether you're getting my point. <laughs> don't borrow money from me saying you'll pay by faith. If your faith was really real, use it to download the money from nobody. Don't get us involved. Don't be believing God on my matter. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You come to my shop, you collect what I'm selling, you want to use faith to pay. Use your faith to bring your money and bring me cash. I don't sell. There's nothing that... It's your faith, Bitcoin. I mean, what are you talking about? Even Bitcoin now is risky. You do your faith exchange in your life and bring me my cash. Don't buy things from me hoping to pay by faith. No. That is a technical way by which honest people steal. Let's go on. Like I said, we'll come back to that later. But the one we're talking about today, like I said... Let me sit on it. Let me really get there. I'll get back to all of these things later. I'm just so tempted to talk about everything at the same time. But in my heart, I think we should talk about the relationship side. So like I was saying, relationships matter to God. And like we're reading from John, that's one place we demonstrate whether our faith is genuine or our faith is not genuine. If you don't love your wife, you don't love God. No matter how much you pray, you're a liar. 
Should I say that again? All the women are saying, she's a woman that shouted yes. <laughs> All the women say, yes, I love this pastor. You know that kind of <laughs> If you don't love your wife, it's actually a lie that you love God. It's a total lie. You are totally doing what? Lying. No matter how much you pray, you're lying. And you see what I'm saying in a moment. If you work for somebody, including federal government, and you're not faithful to them, you're not faithful to God, no matter how much you go to, go to church, you are telling lies. That is a matter of fact. You see that when Paul began to speak, he quickly, after giving the general instructions, which we read a bit of it now, he got to verse 22. He picked on the relationship between husbands and wives. And he began to instruct wives first and then husbands. As soon as he was done with that, he talked on children and parents. How children should relate with parents and how parents should relate with their children. And then he went to talk about the verse 5. He says, slaves or servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. You see here, again, he was explaining, all right, that your faith is reflected in your relationships. Remember, we're talking about the culture of Christianity. In all of these things, Christianity has a culture. In all of this. Christianity has a culture. Faith has a culture. That's what I'm talking about. The mistake Christians make, the mistake we make as believers, and this short-circuits our blessings. It short-circuits, it prevents what God wants to do in our lives from manifesting. The major mistake we make is that when we want to handle these relationships, what we do is that we take the culture of our society to handle the relationships. And based on that, we cut off God's blessing. It's important. See, Christians get it. God is using us to create a new culture for the earth. I've been saying it. In every aspect of life. In every aspect of life. God is using us to create a new culture on the earth. The culture is the culture of faith. And now we are looking at it. I'm going to take it one by one. In our relationships, we create cultures. The way we marry must be Christian culture. What makes a marriage Christian is not whether held in church or held in the town hall. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Like somebody said, the white is English culture, not Christian culture. The suit and the white gown is English culture, not Christian culture. What makes a marriage Christian is that it is based upon the culture of faith. You know, the other day, my brother and I were discussing about some things about marriage. Okay, okay the question was this. One of our sisters asked that she, she met people, they actually met a couple, saw a man and a woman, talked with the man, then talked to the woman separately. And then the man pointed out to her, sorry, that's my wife. So she was surprised, why? Because they didn't bear the same name. Their names were different. So, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Because you know, maybe she looked at their, where they wrote their names. Found that the two people are married. When she looked at the paper, they didn't. She thought they were just friends. People just accompany each other. She said, "Oh, that's my. Oh, I'm so sorry." So she asked a simple question: 
What is the Bible take on that? You know Hillary Clinton? How many of you know Hillary Clinton? I know she's not your friend. I mean, you've heard of her before. <laughs> you know, her name was Hillary Rodham until Bill Clinton won the presidential primaries for the Democratic Party. Then she changed her name to Hillary Rodham Clinton and hyphenated it. Then little by little, they dropped the Rodham and now became Clinton. She never picked her husband's name until much later in life. So somebody now asked her, what, does the, what is the Christian take on that? You know the truth? The Bible has an answer. I gave an answer. Of course, we're all discussed. So I gave my own opinion, which is part of what I'm sharing with you this um, evening. So the Bible says that for this cause shall he leave, a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. I said, that is the reason why we share the same name. I said, some say, okay, you, what about when a woman combines her father's name with her husband's name? I said, I don't accept that. Because the Bible says, forget your father's house and the king will desire your beauty. That's what the Bible says. A lot of things we do, we are combining worldliness with the things that we are doing in Christianity. I explained a number of things. I just want to talk about that in details now. Oh, we'll get there, we'll get there. Because one of the things I said, I said, I, I, one of the things I explained to my brethren is that there are exceptions, not really exceptions, I don't want to say exceptions. There are times in which it's not really an exception. For example, you marry a woman who's a scientist who has published 20 papers under her maiden name. She will continue, that's how science works. But now they have what they call the OCK ID. I think, is it OCK ID they call it now? There's one new ID system now. So that whether your name changes or not, you just use the ID system. But before that, your name is required to know these are your publications. So the woman may continue to publish under her former name, but not as if this is her name, but just her way of identifying herself in the scientific world. Because she came in there with a particular name, dropped like 15 publications before she got married. She may be bearing her husband's name normally, but when she wants to write another article, she continues to use the former name so that all of them... So those are the, a few of the um, exceptions, you know. But you, you get the principle. Uh, one example I gave is, how many of you know Tina Turner? Musician, Tina Turner, yes. She has not been a Turner for decades. She stopped marrying that man Turner, maybe like 40 years ago. But her name is Tina Turner. In fact, she's married to a white man, and she lives in Switzerland. Why? The Tina Turner is a music brand. It's not her name anymore, it's a musical brand. So those are the little exceptions. But let's talk about the culture. So when we choose our names, therefore, you understand? It's based on what we recognize that the two becomes what? One flesh. I wrote an article, one of our sermons on our website, The Culture, uh, the Doctrine of Monogamy. Please go and read it. People have said all kinds of things that the Bible says, um, now remember we're talking about what? Christian culture and marriage. Why do we believe in monogamy? It is simple. Not because people have accused us that. Uh, that the whites brought their culture and then we swallowed it. And that polygamy is African culture. That polygamy is African culture is not, well, it is true and not true. Africans were polygamous, true, but not only them. David is not an African, or was not an African. Elkanah was not a, an African. So it's not unique to Africa. If you get to um, the state of Utah in the United States, at least until, I don't know about now, but that, that, there are moments and Mormons were polygamous. So there's nothing unique about it being African. 
So when we start preaching monogamy, it's also not because we are taking European culture. No. Monogamy for us, I wrote in that, you can try and lay your hands on it and read it, is Christian culture. It's a doctrine based upon the word of God. It's a doctrine based upon the ideal of God. Adam did not marry two wives. And the Bible tells us in the beginning, there was the way it was. When Jesus was speaking, they asked him, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife and all of that? He said, in the beginning, it was not so. How was it in the beginning? When God made Adam, he made only Eve for Adam. We understand that the Bible says that the two shall become one. He did not at any point imply that they could be three. I heard that your friend is marrying two wives on one day. Some of you know. Yes. This world is upside down. Thank God we are in Christ and not in the world. Say a man gets up in this morning and says he's marrying two wives the same day. So they are going to do a ceremony in which the two, the three shall become one confused mass. Because not one flesh. We don't believe in that. Now, when I saw it in the news, BBC News yesterday, I was surprised. I said, people do things like this. People say, who, 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 who? One Brazilian footballer. He was going to marry two wives the same day. One day, fella got up and married how many wives in one day? Eh? 27 girls married them in one day. Fella Nicola Pokuti. Yeah, one day. Some of you are following funny people. I hope you know that Oshofa, the founder of Celestial Church of whatever it is, had 37 wives. And they call it a church. That is why you cannot come and tell because synagogue calls itself synagogue. If it's a synagogue, it's good. It's not a church. At least the guy didn't say it's a church. Anybody can take any name he likes. The man who said married 37 wives. And people who claim to be Christians are still following him. I said, you know, there are, there are things you don't even argue over. I just leave you. Because you can only Christ by yourself. I'm not going to join your madness. You are going to a church where the man who started it has 37 wives. How do you explain it to Jesus Christ? Say, so Jesus, I'm going to church. Your servant that you gave 37 wives our pastor. The Lord is good. So, back to what I was saying. So, in that article, of course, it's the word of God. The fact is that we believe in monogamy simply because that's what Jesus taught us. Now, many, many people fell below God's standards. It is we Christians that will go back to his standard. Otherwise, there's no standard that he has. If he cannot trust us to move towards it, we are the ones that can bring his standard up again. If he said, in the beginning, I made them one, two of them. Do you know the interesting part? Abraham, there are only three examples in the Bible that God gave for marriage. Never seen, I've not seen a third one. One example is Abraham, um, Adam and Eve. The next one is Abraham and Sarah. And the last one is always the relationship between him and us. Between him and Israel and between Christ and the church. That's it. Abraham, you know, did not marry two wives. 
Hagar was not his wife. That is not to make you start looking for concubine now because I said, no. Hagar was a mistake, was an error. That was when he bowed to the culture in the environment. Many people don't realize that that was what he did. I don't have to go into it now. When Sarah said, take my maid, it was their culture in that environment. It was not the culture of God. Please, I hope you are following my point here. Yes, so why do we preach monogamy? People say the Bible says that a deacon must be a husband and one wife. Therefore, it implies in the church that time, there were men that had more than one wife. It sounds reasonable, except that it's not true. Now, I'm not going to talk about whether there were men in the church that time that had more than one wife. That's not what I'm talking about. What I want to explain is that principle of the husband of one wife. You know, let me say something to you again. You know, it says that the deacon must be a husband of one wife. People now say, me, some people had many other wives, which means what? Once you are not planning to be a deacon, you can have more than one wife. Which means, therefore, if you are not planning to be a deacon, you can be dishonest. If you are not planning to be a deacon, your children can be unruly. <laughs> can you see the way it is? Because he gave all of this, it must be a man of honest report who has a good reputation with people outside. So what you are saying that as long as I'm not planning to be a deacon, I can be a thief. Does that make sense? So even if it was true that I was talking about a husband and one wife, that also does not make sense. He was saying that these deacons are the examples that the rest of the church will look up to. That was what he was trying to say. They are going to do two things. The deacons will represent Christ to the whole church, and they are going to represent the church to the people outside. That's why I said the man must have a good reputation outside. He wasn't trying to say that these qualities are only for deacons. So that if, if I'm not trying to be a deacon, I can marry two wives. Say, look, Pastor Kimote is a pastor. I'm not. My, my, my calling in life is to support the gospel. So, Pastor, so I, I need to have two wives so that I can support the gospel. <laughs> adequately. <laughs> no. When he wrote to uh, Timothy and Titus and he said those things, what was Paul saying? The literal Greek is this. A deacon must be a man of one woman. The Greek man didn't have a different name for husband. So you see, what Paul wrote is that it must be a man of one woman. The same word he used is also used for wife. So some translated it to mean husband of one wife. But Paul's emphasis was that he must be a man of what? One woman. That is, he must not have a girlfriend. He must not womanize. He wasn't saying that he must be a husband of one wife. Paul never intended that. He was talking about his moral character. That the man that's going to be a deacon... It must not be one of those people that are always certainly quarrel between him and his wife because he saw a strange text message on his phone and one girl is calling him baby. <laughs> he said, once you see that one, please, he can't be a deacon. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. Yeah, it's important for us to understand because people have used that thing, yeah, I'm not trying to be a deacon. No, what Paul said is that the deacon must be a man of all, the elder must be a man of one woman. That was his emphasis. Christian culture, monogamy is Christian culture. It's not the white man's culture. We are not learning from the British. And experience told us, or people that went before us, I mean, there's one man who 
I heard a story, I think an American star, another basketball star, a sports star anyway. You know what he said? He had the reputation that he had slept with 4,000 women. Yeah, 4,000. That was his reputation. 4,000. 4,000. That's not the gist. The gist was that he said at the end of the day that he has found out that it would have been better to have slept with one woman 4,000 times. So, people who have committed iniquity, they are telling you, don't waste your time. The French have a saying. They say, if you love many women, you have loved none at all. He said, love one woman, you have loved all of them. And the French, when I was young, they were in, look, France, I don't know about now at least, I know of two of their, is it president they call them, they had official girlfriend that they have, the whole country knew. Okay, this is Oga's wife. Oga's girlfriend lives down the street. And, and sitting president, I don't mean former head of state. Things that you, as crazy as UK has become, you don't try it. America, with all their madness, you don't try it. More than 20 years ago, French, the French, they, they, they were okay with it. So when you see the kind of craze, the craze that the current president now is married to the mother of his classmate. Who is stole from his classmate's father? Crazy people. I don't know what I... It, I'm not joking. You know, this current president, French president, as a little boy, his teenager in secondary school, he saw his classmate's mother. He said, I'm going to marry your mother. And he's married to her today. And she's the first lady of the Federal Republic of France. I don't know what I'm <laughs> Not a joke, what I've told you. Crazy people out there. I like what Chintok said. Chintok said he went to Dubai. Everything was working. He was angry. He said, but he looked at the people. He said, empty people, working system. <laughs> he said, I'd rather have a system that's not working. And the people are full. He said, the best is the working system, full people. He said, I'm going back home. The Lord is good. I don't know why Nigerians are running up and down. I love Nigeria. You can say what you want to say from now to tomorrow. I love Nigeria. They say, hey, there are killing people in Nigeria. It makes me laugh. Who's, who's killing who in Nigeria? It's not uh, criminals and uh, headsmen. You know who's killing people in America? Normal people. You just come to class. You sit down, your class will just come, cock a gun. Did you greet me yesterday? Boom. <laughs> I said, what are you doing? Bwam. Who else is there? Bwam, bwam, bwam. Keep on shooting. After shooting like five people or seven people. Till I surrender to police or shoot myself. The last one that happened, my friend told me that he just not, it's not far. He described the place. He said, it's not too far from the house. I said, ah. I said, God will keep you. He said, amen. <laughs> the boy went on collecting the gun because the girl refused to greet him. So he shot the girl, shot the teacher, shot a few people. I said, wouldn't you have preferred to be killed by a headsman? At least you know, say, now nah, you're an enemy. <laughs> you know, an enemy has done this one. The one I read, I told you about it, about it, that's last month. It happens all the time. That one came, he was totally naked. Then wore a jacket on his naked body. Enter a restaurant. Started shooting people. Good enough, one black man rushed him. They said, hero. He said, no, I'm not a hero. I had to survive. <laughs> the 
guy said, please, did you stop calling me a hero? I was fighting for my life. Because he hid in the toilet. The guy shot through the door. So the guy realized there was no way he could go. So he said, I either fight this guy or he's coming here to kill me free. He said, if he wants to kill me, I have to work for it. So he rushed the guy. That's how he, and the man removed the jacket and ran out naked. I kill people in Nigeria. A man collected like 15 guns, enter a hotel. Upstairs. Normal, middle-aged man, like 50-something years. Cocked the gun, waited for party to start downstairs. Once they started party, started shooting. He doesn't know who's there. Just say, why are you doing party? That's all. <laughs> he, ki- he killed like, is it 50-something people and he just almost 200? Yeah. Bullet was raining from above. And people tell me they are killing people in Nigeria. I think get away. We are all killing people worldwide. Yeah, are you getting my point? <laughs> How did I get there? Talking about France. Okay. Now, I'm making a point here. Our culture as believers is based upon scripture. And the culture is monogamy. When the Bible says the husband and one wife, literal Greek says the man of one woman. A man of one woman. And it's supposed to be an example for Dickens. Sorry. It's supposed to be an example for the church. Not as if that is what qualifies you to be a deacon because deacons needed to hold office. No. What he was saying, that the elders, the deacons, are examples for the rest of the church to follow. So any Christian, marrying two wives is disobeying God. Any Christian that has only one wife and thinks I have that one covered, and has another woman outside, he's a sinner too. It's probably a worse sinner. In Christianity, we are men of one, one woman. <laughs> How are we men of one woman? How many of us go to marry one woman? Okay. In Christianity, the doctrine is man of one woman. And it is based, that's the point I'm making, it's based upon faith. It's based upon what God has spoken. It's based upon what we have found out. And listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. We are saying these cultures are the ways by which the blessing of God flows into the earth. There's something I was discussing with my wife the other day. One of the major problems we have in Christianity, in life generally, okay? And of course, reflecting Christianity, a major problem we have in life is this. We want to isolatedly obey God. Now, you see what I'm saying in a moment. And then when the blessing does not flow easily, we see arguments against the blessing. Now, let me, let me try and find a, a simple example. Now, please, I'm not a campaigner that you must all have 13 children. That's not my campaign. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Are yeah, you getting my point? The Bible says children are a blessing from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is what? A reward. And a, a quiver full is what? A blessing. Now, when you want to hear people talk and talk about many, against having many children, when you hear the kind of points they make, it, look, it upsets my soul. They will tell you you need a lot of money to take care of them. The same people will open their mouth and say, at least you'll be able to take them abroad. Now, listen to what I'm trying to say. They take worldliness, use it to create a need in their lives, and explain why the word of God cannot be true. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. Many things we do in life, when God says do this, we can't obey him because we created a culture from the world. Let me give you an example. The Bible doesn't believe in retirement. There is nowhere in scriptures 
where God said people should retire. You know why government says you should retire? It's not because you are no longer productive. It's that they say if you stay there for long, they won't be able to provide jobs for the other people. It's to let their jobs go around. That is one major reason. Some of the most experienced and most effective administrators are forced to retire, not because they are no longer efficient, but simply because what? The young people need to find jobs. We're all keen enough for government to work. Yet, if you read your Bible very well and observe life, old men can be productive. A year or two before Paul Dutola died, died. Paul Dutola was a great industrialist in, um, in Western Nigeria. A year or two before he died, one day I read an interview, and the man was discussing the next level of business they are going to go into, how they are going to expand the company and all of that. And when he died, he was 91 or 92. So this, this thing I'm telling you was on his 90th birthday that he was discussing it was discussing company expansion. And at that point in time, he was still the CEO of the company. When Henry Ford retired, the original Henry Ford, when he retired from the company, and his son, either his son or his grandson said the company was not doing well. Do you know he had to come back to take over the company to wake the company up again when his son or his grandson could not do as well as he was doing? Now, I'm explaining the principle here. But the world creates a system for us. When the Bible says, don't take any thought for tomorrow, as an example, another example. The world tells us that what will happen when you retire? Are you getting my point? Then the same world will tell you, uh, listen, let me say something to you. Eh? The Bible says that God has placed a solitary in families. What God does when he wants to settle you is to, set, is to surround you with people, not give you money. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If God wants to settle you in life, what is more important to him than money is people? What is more important to, you, to him than money is what? People. People. Did I give you a report of the... I think I discussed it here. That they did a study in Harvard. Harvard the Harvard University did a study that has lasted over 75 years now. And they found out that number one reason people live long is that they are surrounded with people. Another, another woman reported this, another study, which was not that long, just a study, just, they just did a study, a cross-sectional study at the same time, you know, just one point, did the study, and found out that number one reason people remain healthy and live into old age is that they are surrounded by what? People. They have family. Especially when they have a husband or a wife who they trust. He said, it doesn't mean they don't quarrel. Just in their hearts, all right? They, have, they trust in that person. He said, it's number one reason people are healthy later on in life. That whether they are fat or slim is like number seven. Whether their cholesterol is high or low is number seven, number six. Whether their high blood pressure is well controlled or not is far down. You see what I'm trying to explain? Now, the world will now say to us, the same mouth, they will tell us, save for retirement. With the same mouth, they say, you see, you don't need to have children. You need to have one, one and a half, or two. And then you now see what they do in their societies. When the people are old, retired, they ship them off to what? 
old people's homes. Why? So that they can have company. But down here, we still have a godly culture. We bless the old people that are grandchildren. Even if we can't surround them, grandchildren will surround them. I hope you are getting my point here. I'm going to tell you something here. So you see, many times the world creates a wrong culture for us. We imbibe their culture, and the culture we have from the world starts making obeying the culture of God in other isolated areas difficult. What am I going to say? By the time they finish, the world will tell you, save up for the future, retire early, retire young. These are worldly cultures. They now say, have only two children. You now see it. The whole thing is now a mess. When God now says, take no thought for the morrow, you're not telling a man who's supposed to retire early, have no children, have no friends. I don't know whether you're connected or what I'm trying to say. You're not telling him, don't worry about tomorrow. Bros, he will worry about tomorrow. He will worry about tomorrow. No, listen. The God that said, don't worry about tomorrow, there are two sides to him. One, there is a side in which he said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Number two, he says, if all of you bother to obey me, you will have realized that there is no need to worry. Do you know, no matter how poor, in quote, somebody is who is 80, not working, no pension, nothing, but he has seven children who are working, ten grandchildren who are working, who cares about pension money? No, think about it. Who cares about pension money? By the time he goes around visiting all these people, He'll be 100 years old. Are you getting my point? <laughs> but I call the first one. Say, ah, I heard you guys. I do said, okay, I'll visit you. I'll, I'll visit you guys next week. I heard you are doing a party in the house. Stays there for the party for six weeks. <laughs> they hear that the grandson is wedding. Tells his wife, let's go for our grandson's wedding. Arrives one week early. Parties with them for two weeks. Blesses them with the blessing of an old man. Are you getting my point? Rushes back home to attend to a few things. He will be busy when Jesus says, come home. Say, Jesus, tell the angel, wait, I'm coming. Let me quickly sign these checks. They have to pay people. The man will be busy. The angel will say, ah. And the Lord said, you should come now. Ah. Let me pray. Go and pray. Father, you send that angel. I like heaven and I want to come. But I heard that my first Great, great grandson is being delivered next week. Don't you think I should witness it? Say, Lord, please tell the angel to go. Give me one more year. Let me enjoy my great, great, great grandchildren. So the angel will say, Before I left the court here, the Lord said, I should come back and tell you. I've given you one more year. Uh-huh. You know the way Ezekiah and Isaiah. In that one year, he expands his business. Listen. Finally, one day, just say, guys, I don't try for all of you. Let me go and stay with the Lord Jesus. He's missing me too. <laughs> I don't know whether you get my point. See, that is a problem with, oh God, please, I pray you, your heart will catch this thing. God wants us to grab his culture. The world is teaching us wrong things. And we are pursuing standards. We are pursuing standards that they set. And to meet those standards, we have to disobey God. They will not tell you that, look, oh, Raising five children is a problem, so have one. Why? Things are expensive. And by the time they give you the statistics, you know what? They will be right. They will be correct. But the reason is because they have imbibed the culture of the world in other areas. Men who marry many wives, if they tell you all kinds of who womanize, they have all kinds of stories to tell on why it is good and important. They won't know that there is nothing they are enjoying, in quotes, that the man that has only one is not enjoying two times as much. 
Listen, the culture of God is what we are talking about. And it is our duty to introduce it into the society. I hope you're getting my point here. So we're starting today, of course, in that area, looking at that issue of husbands and wives. So let's read what Paul said we should do. Like I said, we'll come back later on to the general things that he said to believers. I just feel we should get to this. He said, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. He quoted verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and his church. That is, concerning the great mystery. Nevertheless, let's get back to the issue of husband and wife. Each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Um, I'm going to read this one later on from Peter. And we'll read it from... Um, the Amplified Bible. Maybe okay, let's quickly open to uh, what Peter said about it and read that one from the Amplified Bible. I think um, it will help us. If you have the Amplified Bible, you should open to that. First Peter chapter 3. In like manner, you married women, be submissive to your own husbands, subordinate yourselves as being secondary to and dependent on them, and adapt yourselves to them. So that even if they do not obey the word of God, they may be won over, not by discussion, but by the godly lives of their wives. When they observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves, together with your reverence for your husband, you are to feel for him all that reverence includes, to respect, defer to, revere him, to honor, esteem, appreciate, prize, and in the human sense, to adore him. That is, to admire, praise, be devoted to, deeply love, and enjoy your husband. That's amplified. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So the apostle said deep. <laughs> yeah, this is deep. I'm just going to introduce this because I say everybody don't wake up. <laughs> you know, I want to start by explaining a particular principle. You know, I've already said something before. That we must be careful that we do not learn what the culture of the world the culture of the world makes it difficult to obey God. Sorry, there's one line of that I didn't complete reading. Let's just go down to it. That's First Peter chapter 3. I, I, I should just... Um, okay, let me just continue reading a, 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 a bit further down because I want to get down to 
uh, verse 7. Let's just read that. For time's sake, please jump down to verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 3. It's in the same manner, you married women should live considerately with your wives, with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation, honoring the woman as physically the weaker, but realizing that you are joint heirs of the grace, God's unmerited favor of life. Now, please note this. In order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. In bracket, otherwise you cannot pray effectively. I wanted to add that one to it before we continue reading. Please notice that. I said something earlier. If you say you love God, you don't love your wife. What did I say? You are lying. That is why. If you think you have faith and you don't love your wife, you are telling lies. The first thing faith does for you, don't ever forget this. The first thing faith does for you is not to get things for you. What's the first thing it does for you? I've talked about it before. What was the first assignment of faith in your life? Help you to? Eh? What did you say? Okay, live right. Okay, that's correct. But the first thing, the way I said it then was, it helps you to obey God. It's living right. Correct, all right? The first thing faith does for you is what? Help you to obey God. So if you cannot by faith love your wife, <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? You actually don't have faith. You are deceiving me. Let's bear this in mind. That's why Peter said that if you don't get it right, you are going to have a problem with prayer. You will pray, God will not answer. He said that your prayer will be cut off. Please bear that in mind, all right? Now, I just I wanted to add that to what we read earlier before I now say what I want to say. I was saying, let's be careful that we don't adapt the culture of the world into our lives. No matter how good it seems. There was a time somebody was, you know, I've read this, uh, uh, this gist here and there, trying to emphasize to you that, you see, if you want to be happy, allow the woman make her decision. I don't know whether you've seen it, but the prince who married a, a witch, haggard, no, ugly witch, but at night she turned out to be a beautiful woman. And then he said, and then she asked him, what would you prefer? I'll be beautiful outside and ugly inside, or I'll be ugly outside and beautiful inside. Which one do you prefer? Choose one. And then the man thought and said, all right, any one you choose. So the woman said, okay, no problem, therefore. I will be beautiful all the time. And I said, what's the moral of the lesson? That allowed the woman make her choices. When somebody forwarded to my chat group, my brethren, I replied, as any woman who's looking for that, please remain single. This is not the will of God. No, trust me, I know the mercy, that kind of thing. You can't be advocating satanic principles and I will keep quiet. The Bible says I must save myself and those who pay attention to me. I have to save you. My wife went once for a meeting. She confused. Well, she wasn't confused. She felt sorry for people. A women's meeting. Women's meeting. They gathered and one woman came to preach. But then the woman was done. My wife was looking like, what? From the beginning to the end, she taught them common sense. How to keep your home. Everything she taught was how to be sneaky, crafty, deceptive to get what you want to do done while your husband does not suspect. And according to her, you have to be wise. I told, I'm, when, I see, when I see women with women ministry, I'm very, very suspicious. I'm not saying it's always wrong. Though. Please, don't get me wrong. Now, I guess they do what? Suspicious. I've seen many times women are counseling women. I just shake my head. Say, sister, go and meet a man to counsel you. This girl is not telling you the truth. Really, I have my reasons for saying it. I'm going to one point here. 
By the time that woman was done that day, in that meeting my, 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 my wife went for, she, she was one that came home and told me. And said, see what I heard today. So much foolishness. One day my wife was somewhere and another woman of God was explaining why Sarah did not know what she was doing. That if you look at Sarah, she was a weak woman. Sarah was not assertive. Say, by the time she was done, my wife was confused. That is this the same Sarah? <laughs> or is it the one in the Quran you are referring to? Because <laughs> the one in my Bible here is not like this. Oh. Of course, usually when women gather like that, the only way I know is when my wife comes to tell me, say, come and see the other one I had today. That one, she was confused because the person I was talking was supposed to be spiritual, supposed to know the word of God. So she, like, she came to me and said, my husband, please, I'm confused. This was what I heard today about Sarah. Is, that, is there something about this in these scriptures that I don't understand? I thought Sarah was supposed to be our example. What am I saying of these things? Listen to me, people of God. The order that God has placed in scriptures is for our good. The order is for our good. One thing I tell my wife all the time, I say, you see, it is not possible. Me and you are not adversaries. No matter how much we disagree on one thing, we are not adversaries. I don't know whether you are getting my point. We are in the same team. We are thinking, we are going for the same goal. We just may be disagreeing slightly on how we are supposed to get there. Bear that in mind. But there was something my wife and I used to pray some time ago. I said, if I have something to say, I want to correct you about something. I said, don't say a word. Just listen. Now listen to this. I said, even if everything I'm saying you did or you did not do are wrong, don't even correct me. Just listen first. And the same way, if you have something to tell me, eh? once you start, I'm not allowed to talk. Even if you are lying, in quotes, you get my point? I should listen first, hear the whole thing. Now, this is what, this is what we, we said. I said, because you know what? You don't need to be right or wrong. I'm not going somewhere to go and brag. I argue with my wife today, and I won. Do you get my point? There's no way I'm going to go and brag. My wife and I argue today. My God, I showed her that I'm the man. Huh? You know, I won the argument. I said, nothing like that. It starts here, it ends here. I said, just pay attention. That is... We tried us, the time we were able to be disciplined to follow it, it was very good. Though. Although your body could be like, no, no, that thing you said it didn't happen like that, but you want be forced to just keep quiet. Oh, I forgot to mention on that part. I am not allowed to respond for two days. So because, like I said that, that time, we don't want it to be an argument. But what, why I'm telling this story is that one of the things I said to her then, I said, baby, you know, whether nobody's winning or losing. If I win... I win against myself. If I lose, I lose against myself. Are you getting my point? So there's no need to make sure you win or I make sure I win. What I've told you is the, is the word of God. When the Bible says the two shall be one flesh, because I've seen, you hear stories, when you hear, one of my colleagues got married that time and they were counseling her. You know that women, counseling her. Now that you have just married her, is when you need to get everything you need from your husband. Though you know, you know your love is still shocking him more and more like this now. Now he will do anything for you. How is that? Is she his enemy? I don't know whether you are getting my point. What do you want to get from him? 
I don't know whether you are getting my point. One of our sisters here, the other day she said, the husband was telling me, she was with some other ladies, you know, just colleagues, they were talking. And by the time they finished, by the time they finished describing men, she was wondering whether she married one. Because the husband she married is not like this guy, this, the person these people are describing. How the men are selfish, they are this, they are that. So she said, no, that's not how my matter is. My husband and I, we, we know each other, we trust each other, we hold everything in common, it belongs, you know. So they were like, eh, ah, what if you need money from him? She put her hand in her pocket and brought out his ATM card. Said, this is his ATM card, it's in my pocket, and put it back. Every man look. I, I don't know whether you're getting my point. Like, what are you people talking about? Did you, like I, my wife and I were talking, said, did they marry an enemy? Listen, ah, I'm taking this in very slowly, but I think I need to do it. Christian marriage is the most beautiful thing on earth God created. And I think we should strive to attain divine ideal in it. When he said, be submissive to your husband, and when he said to the men, treat your wives well, otherwise I won't listen to your prayers. I said the problem people had with that, those concepts, when he said be subject to your husband and all of that, is that they don't realize the aim of God. What I'm going to say is this. People think that you are putting two adversaries in a home and you are telling Larry Holmes to be subject to Muhammad Ali. You say Mike Tyson, be subject to Buster Douglas. And Mike Tyson said, how can I be subject to Buster Douglas? I want to win the fight. So we turn to Mike Tyson and be preaching to Mike Tyson. Or give me one modern guy. Pascal, okay, our guy in London, Anthony Joshua, is fighting, uh, what's the name of the Russian guy, or the Ukrainian guy? Klitschko. So Klitschko and Anthony Joshua in 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 the ring. You now tell Anthony Joshua, Anthony Joshua, be subject to Klitschko. So Anthony Joshua is looking at you there, are you okay? If I'm subject to Klitschko, I'm dead. (laughs) Then you turn to Klitschko, (laughs) love Anthony Joshua. (laughs) Klitschko is wondering, what is going on here? Who will get the prize money if I'm loving him? That is why some of the doctrines of God are hard to explain. What we don't know in the background and the mind, a woman enters into marriage saying, nobody will dominate me in this house. Sometimes her mother had it rough. One of our sisters told, me, told my wife the other day, she's married now, been married for a few years now, she said before she lived with us, she made up her mind she was not going to marry because her father treated her mother very badly. You understand? She couldn't understand how on earth somebody would wake up and say, this is what I want to enter. Then she manages to enter and say, submit yourself to Anthony Joshua. And she's thinking, are you getting my point? This guy is going to pound me. In her mind, she's playing back what her husband, how her mother suffered. And that is why she has a stronghold. Her heart is resistant. Preach from now till tomorrow, she can't get it. What I've told is a matter of fact. But we need to know that the structure God put in place is the best for our lives. The best way to enjoy your life as a married man, as a married woman, is to obey the culture that God is teaching. When he says the husband should 
um, um, should, should love his wife. There was something I told my wife once. I said, I have never made any decision for my own good. I said, every decision I've made that has involved the whole family or me and you together, you understand? I have made because I believe it is the right thing to do. Now, I am not saying I've always been right. Because that would make me perfect, in which case there is no need to improve. I'm not saying I've always been right. I said, but I can tell you one thing. I have never made the decision because I think this is what I will benefit most from. I make those decisions because I believe they are the best things to do. That even when you disagree, it is because I will stick with what I think simply because I have been saddled with the responsibility to make the right decisions. And if you think that you have a superior argument, persuade me. Don't tell me and do it because I'm your wife. I never thought you were my husband. I never thought you were my enemy. I knew from the day I gave your father 200 naira and they gave me 20 naira change that... I have never been confused as to the fact that you are my wife. No, I know. I have never had a doubt. There's some people cry, cry. If you cry for your husband, he go agree. My wife learned in the first 10 seconds of marriage. Say this guy, forget him when it comes to crying things. Doesn't move him. Not because I'm mean, no. I'm the nicest guy you ever met. Ask my wife. <laughs> Don't ask her bego because she does not think so. <laughs> she does not think so. She doesn't think so. <laughs> the Lord is good. But why is it that I don't, you don't cry from me to get anything? I said the decision was not made because you were happy. So cry will not change it. <laughs> don't know what that's my point. I said the decision was made because it was right. Crying has not made it wrong. So the first few months of marriage, my wife said, this house, no cry. No need. If she cries, she's pained. It's not to convince me. It's like this thing they are doing or that's happening is paining me. It's not because I cry now, you're not changing your mind. No. The right things are right, whether you are crying or you are happy. We can change our minds on color if you are crying. We can change our minds on should we eat yam or eat beans. But on serious matters, why would you change your mind? Because your wife cried. Your wife would not cry. I want my son to go to school where they pay 2.5 million a year. Will <laughs> <laughs> your cry bring the money? <laughs> Is your cry going to bring the money? Yeah. But if it's okay, let's buy blue. And I say, I like blue. Yeah, you say we want yellow. If you, don't, if you don't buy yellow, I won't, you don't talk to me again. Yeah, of course, we'll buy yellow, green, purple, orange, anyone. The money is the same. When I say I should leave you school where they are paying 100,000 to the one they are paying 2.5 million, carry your whole family, come cry for here. I know they're here. <laughs> yeah. Because this is not going to produce money. The Lord is good. <laughs> I hope you're following my point here. That you see, I've, see listen, see, that, that has, I'm going to stop with that today and then we'll go from there. First of all, I think the Spirit wants us to know we should realize that there's no, that we are not in an adversarial position, relationship, we are not enemies. We both want good. That's why God can say boldly, wives, be subject to your husbands. 
And it says to husbands, love your wives. One of the greatest lessons I taught my wife as a married woman, married to me, of course, is that, this is your girl, you must learn to trust. You must learn to trust. Trust me that I'm looking out for your good. Trust me that I wouldn't do what is not right deliberately. You know, sir, what if you are wrong? Listen, you, you must realize that we will start from what is ideal. You, are you getting my point? Yeah, because many times people don't want to do what is right. They start finding hypothetical situations. God's ideal is what I'm talking about. He says it is for your good. This is the order in the home. First, you read that from First Peter chapter 1. He said it started with wives. The first instruction, both from Paul's mouth and from Peter's mouth, was to wives. All right? And then to the man. But the man's instruction is longer. If you read Paul, you see the man's instruction is much longer. But first of all, the instruction is to the woman. And it says to the woman, be submissive to your own husband. Please read the book. Should I say yes? All right, the second segment. Or if you download it, that one is just titled Fundamentals of Christian Marriage. I explain some of these things in there. Sometimes I hear, no, let me start with, by saying this. Here, Peter explains something. I'm looking for the portion of it. Yes. Verse 2. He said you should conduct yourselves, I was talking to the women, in this particular way. He said men can be converted if the men are not believers now when they watch Christian women behave. These are Christian women are supposed to behave. He said, verse 2, that they will observe the pure and modest way in which you conduct yourselves together with your reverence for your husband. Amplified. And I emphasize the word reverence. Explain that reverence means respect, to defer to, revere, honor, esteem, appreciate, praise, adore, praise, and be devoted to, deeply love and enjoy. Now, please listen to what I want to say. What I'm preaching here, I'm very radical about it. I'm the most radical preacher I've heard in this area. And ladies, listen to me. Now, from my understanding of scriptures, now remember I've already established the fact that it's Christian culture we're looking at. Christian culture is for our good. It's not the way I like it. It's the way the Lord described it. Ladies, listen to this. For God's blessings to flow into your life, not only into your life, into the lives of your children, not only into the lives of your children, into the life of your husband. Not only, not only into the life of your family, as, as I've outlined it now, but into the environment. Listen to this. There should be nobody you respect more than your husband. I don't mean respecting your heart. Though. I mean the one that we will see and know. Sometimes you hear women talk to their husbands. You wonder whether they're talking to their first son. Or the guy who works beside them in the office. You are talking to your husband. Say, I bet let me hear. I tell my wife, what you can't tell your boss if you're working somewhere? Don't tell me. It's out of order. It's what the Bible teaches. Let me say something about the way God made men. It's God that made them, not me. I meant it like that. I woke up one day, they said, Bank, you are one of them. I said, Amen. Do you understand? You know, there's one story we, used to, we grew up with, and then it still happens a lot. You see a man, very beautiful, sophisticated wife that he married, that wants to marry another woman or have a girlfriend. When you see the woman, that, the young lady, or woman that he's um, having a relationship with, you look. You look at her, you look at her, his wife. Like, okay, did you take coding? 
Or is it tramadol? There's one man I won't mention. I will not mention. But a prominent man. Okay, if I even mention, you won't know. But I won't mention where he was working. I heard the story. He headed a, a major parastatal, government parastatal. And that, I don't know whether he divorced his first wife or had an issue, but then... Now, there's one of the women that clean in his office. Now, he was a senior man, middle age, you know, that he started having an affair with. And then he'll go to her house, and they will sit down there, and they'll be peeling granola together. <laughs> and people will see him with the woman. I know what people normally say, she puts something in his food. Most of the times, it is a lie. She did not put something in his food. She's one woman that's always excited to see him, gives him the respect he has never gotten from anybody that's not looking for anything from his hands. And whether he likes it or not, his soul is drawn to her. You don't need jazz if you know how to tickle these men's souls. I'm telling you. This is, the, and you know, I don't understand something. And you know, some of women will know this, and they won't do it for the guy. Unless they are looking for something. Your husband is talking, you walk out. Maybe you're on drugs. Like I always say, you can't walk out on your boss, can you? You can't. Let me, let me say something to you. The Bible says something. That is Sarah respected her husband so much, she called him what? Lord. Lord. You know, I'd finished writing the book. Should I say yes? Before the word Lord, I finally understood it. Because it's odd, you know. Maybe I'm going on the road now. My wife wants to come and say, my Lord. You know, you look like, are you a judge? Or, you know, do you follow my point? You're going to wonder, are you, what are you? It's odd in our society. And it should be because we don't use that word anymore. The only word we use these days, in place of my Lord, is sir. If I say, how many of you do your husband's call and you answer, I say, like, Abba, I'll go answer and sir. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying Sarah did. One word that we use in pidgin English, which is good, you say, ah, my yoga. You know, we use that a lot. Ah, yoga, ah, he's fine. It's a good word if we understood the meaning. That's what the Bible meant. When it was saying Sarah respected her husband, she called him Lord. It's the first commandment. That's how to enjoy marriage. You and him may be the same age, or you're a little older than him. You may have a PhD. And he does not. Once you open your mouth and you mistakenly said, I do. I do is a dangerous expression. <laughs> Once you say, I do. I do is waiting. Don't just open your mouth, I do. Cry. <laughs> Cry for a week. Because once you say, I do, your own is over. You are done. Thank you very much. <laughs> once you say, I do, you are done. <laughs> You know the truth? That, you see, remember, I started by explaining something here. You know, when people want to disobey God, they, 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 know, they, they think it's a culture of dominance you are teaching. It's not. You work in your office. Is your boss, a do, you know I mean? Is he, is he, a, is he, I don't know how to describe it. Is it a culture of dominance in your office? No. It's a culture of order. One of my sisters, those days, I was talking with her, she and the brother she wanted to marry, they were having some issues. So she said something. I said, listen, my girl. She ended up breaking the engagement. I was not wondering that. Is it me? Could I have been the one? What did I say? <laughs> you know, I was wondering. Because I told her something. That's the last thing I remembered. I said, if you don't trust him to make your decisions, please don't marry him. I wasn't trying to tell her, go and rethink about marrying him. But I was just trying to tell her, relax. 
I said, if you can't trust this guy to make decisions, please leave him. Marriage will not be by force. Because it's going to take you trusting that he's making the right decision. Those are the things you, you know, women, when they want to ask whether I should marry a man or you don't marry a man, they are checking how much money does he have, who's his grandfather, who's his father, where is he from. Those are not the kind of things you should be asking young ladies. You've talked with this guy for some weeks. If you and he, your friends laugh about his decision-making process, break the engagement. He's not your husband. Please, if you cannot look, listen, listen. If you cannot look up to him, don't marry him. Look, I'm not talking about, ah, you know, some women want to look up to Dangote. You're a thief. It's money you're looking for. That's not It's not people like you I'm talking about. I'm talking about a man, I mean, you have an issue. It doesn't really cross your mind to call him and ask. When somebody says, ah, call brother so and so and so, Najibi, you say you want Maria. He said, I bet, what does he know? Once, he talk, once you have that opinion, no, no. What did I say? No, no. The culture of God, that's what we're trying to get correctly. Let me end with one thing I said. Please, ladies, wives, it's something you deliberately practice. Like I tell women, sometimes when they greet me, ah, good afternoon, sir. If I know you, I say, I hope your husband, they collect that one once in a while. Because you genuflect to greet me, and you call me, sir. Well, when you see your husband, they come, let's go, you've been wasting my time since. I beg in Jesus' name, don't greet me again. I beg you, don't greet me again. I hope all of you are hearing. All you wives, I hope you are hearing them. They are not hearing me. They are afraid to answer. Don't greet me again. Okay, maybe they're on the other side. The greeting you give me, whether you feel like it or not, please, give your husband too. Do that. When I walk in, you stand up. When your husband comes back from work, stand up too. Don't let familiarity take away good things from you. One of those things my wife discussed, my wife and I discussed those is if you're on the phone and I walk into the house, you hang the phone. Think about it. If, I'm on the, if, if you're on a call and I walk into, maybe, I, I, maybe you're sitting down here now and I walk in, you're on the call. You know, reflexly, because of the title, pastor, which is inferior to husband, in case you don't know. <laughs> it's an inferior title. It's an inferior title. The congregation and the pastor shall become one flesh. So pastor is an inferior title. But no reflexly, out of courtesy. Uh, good afternoon, sir. You hold the phone. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, oh, uh, okay, you're on the call? Yes, sir. Uh, then, what if it's your husband? You all look at him and you continue talking. <laughs> Are you a Jezebel? No, uh, Sarah wouldn't do that. So I told my wife, this is here and I discussed. I said, hey, okay, I can't enter the house. You're on the phone and you keep talking like if nobody entered. No, it will not happen. So we came a small agreement. I walk in. You hang the phone. Tell the person, sorry, my husband just came in. I'll call you back. My husband, welcome. How was the day? Who are you talking to? So, so, and so, and so, person. Or sometimes, she, I say, don't worry, don't worry. Then I'm, I say, go ahead. He say, what does it matter? It's called courtesy. That is why every time a soldier sees a superior, he goes into spasm and says, morning, sir. Why? Because one day bullets will be flying. The same man will tell him, move. If you are not used to obeying him in the time of peace, you will not obey him when bullets are flying over your head. People are waiting for when things are, when strong decisions are about to be made for them to know they have a husband. No. It is in the little decisions. 
is Christian culture. We have a society that don't regard husband highly. Because you know those days, women did because the men earned the money. Because if you want the money, <laughs> you have to find a way to collect it. But now we have a society that the women earn as highly. In America, Europe, we talk about wage inequality. Men are paid higher than women. I said, not in Nigeria. Am I lying? In Nigeria, we pay you by rank. We don't check whether you're a man or a woman. Both in private sector and public sector, we pay you by your rank. So because of that, some of the worldly reasons why people show respect is gone. But we believers, we do it for a different reason. Why not do you want to collect money from him? Is this his money? Is it his money? It's our money. It's our money. The money is not your own, Mr. Husband. You are just the leader in custody. And in case, you know, there are men that are more useless than their wives in money handling. I hope you know that. Oh, God, there are a lot of them. They are going on the road. They smell a perfume that smells stronger than their own. And the reason why it's stronger than their own is because they've been using their own for some time. So their, nose, their noses don't perceive it anymore. You know that's the way it works. They will buy it. 25000 will buy perfume. They are the ones that want to kill their wives with expensive ice cream. They are men like that. In such families, hand the money to the wife to handle. It does not mean you are not submissive. Yeah, the, your head has become correct as a man. You know that if I hold this money, we will die of poverty in this house. No, they are men like that. The money belongs to who? Two of us. We own the money. It's not yours. You are not doing me a favor giving me my money because we are husband. We own the money. I may not leave the house. Maybe you are the one that God blessed with the skill, the hustle. You don't, are you getting my point? Uh-huh. The rank in society. So you are the one downloading the money. Once the money has been downloaded, it's our money. Every other thing we do after that is just convenient arrangement. So it's our money. If you give it to me, it's more of this is the portion for this. It's not as if, okay, oh, this, is your own, this is your allowance for the month as a, as a human being. How can I, okay, where's your own allowance for the month? Mr. Husband. I'm not saying you talk to your husband like that. Or I'm talking to him like that on your behalf. <laughs> the Lord is good. Now, let me explain something here. So, we are not doing that because we are trying to get from somebody. No. It belongs to us. We recognize it. And the men also are commanded by God to recognize it. My wife used to work in the bank those days. When she resigned from the bank, because it's my son, after he was born, I told my wife, you know, the time has come. All right? You can't be an effective mother. You know, why two of us are spending all this time? So somebody has to have more time. I explained that to her. I said, okay. So she resigned. People were like, what? How could you do that? Which money will you not be spending? And she was like, my husband is working. I don't know whether you get the point. Ah, No. In fact, she still reminded me of that a few days ago. That some women can never take that decision out of fear. They are not wicked people. Ah, but they don't look this Ahab. They've looked at this Ahab of a husband. <laughs> Say, hey, I will die. I will be begging for everything. My blouse will tear. I will have to call village meeting to get it replaced. So no matter what you say, she's not leaving. Her. That's why I say when you want to counsel people, eh, don't hear one side of the story. When you want to counsel people, hear the whole side of the story. Remember the other one you told me the other day of one man that came to complain that the, the wife is not behaving, you know, not doing the will of God. 
And when he told me, I was like, what? How can a woman not do the will of God? What are you? Are you a tempter? You'll be sending these men into the hands of bad, bad people. When she told you her side of the story, you want, we're looking for the man. Let me kill this man on your behalf. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me kill this man for you. Wicked man. Wicked man. With which strength we should do the will of God? You won't help her with things that need your muscle. It's not the will of God. Your wife should not be doing the muscular thing when you are there. Your wife is changing tire and you are looking. You, look, you should know that God will punish you. There's no need. This is not a prayer matter. You're already under the judgment of the Lord. What are you saying? You've not seen that kind of thing before? Some men, they are that insensitive. They don't even notice. Satan has removed their brain and put it in his pocket. Muscular, ah, no, I like my wife in that area. My wife, oh, God bless her. That one, she won't even message. Just come. Husband, my tire is down. Please go and change it. I'm in a hurry. No disrespect, mental. That is, she doesn't mean any disrespect. It's like, it's tire. If it's food, I'll go and change it. Because you are in a hurry. But if tire when it goes down, no, it's, there, there's no disrespect, though. It's more of my husband, please, oh, my tire is down. And I'm supposed to go out by five, you know, if, that is, I don't need to be told. But now, thank God for people like Shane Wakim Luna, they can do things like that. I did all of those things those days. Don't let your wife be doing muscular things when you are there. It's not the will of God. Let me end it. I'm not finished, though. I'm continuing <laughs> on this marriage thing next week. I'm continuing next week. You know, all this honey, sugar, baby, sweetheart, love, it's not the word of God. It's a secondary level. You should leave the sugar honey baby till special times. You may call your husband sugar in the public. Yeah. I'm not saying sugar is ungodly. I'm just saying it's too sweet. You should use this. <laughs> Let people wonder who you are talking to. They'll say, Is that your father? He said, No, it's my husband. I said, What? Once you get that response, then know you have done the will of God. You're on the phone, and the ladies around you say, Were oh, you talking to your father? I say, No, it's my husband. You know, we want to say, Oh, we are so close, we are so close. He say, Ah, okay, baby, that's okay with it, they are calling. a sign that we are close. There are times for okay, baby. All right? Put off the light. You can say okay, baby, that time. In all honesty, uh-uh. Find, go home, think about it. Look for something that does not only have meaning to you. It has meaning in the society you live in. In the society you live in. So that people will know that Christian, that's, oh, those people, that's how Christians behave. That's what we are trying to achieve. Those Christians, that's how they are. And we'll talk about the men. We'll talk about the men. There are things you also do. They know, that's how the Christians are. You get a place, there's only one chair. The wife sits comfortably first. If she comes late, you get up, you give her your chair, and you go and look for another one. Don't learn the African culture. One of my friends said in their place, a woman can't be sitting down while a man is standing. I said, no wonder. Headsmen are killing your people now. That's why there are little things God will just look at. And God by himself look for a few headsmen, take a gun, take bullets. Oh yeah? Go and kill those people for me. 
the Christians don't like to believe God does such things. You just he said, why? Why are you killing them? He said, I want somebody else to marry their wives. So why? He has not treated that girl nicely. I've given her to him 15 years ago. Can't you see how she's been losing weight while he's growing fat? Shoot him. <laughs> Let's bow our hands to pray. Let's say, Father, we thank you. Say, Lord, we thank you. Let us thank him. Say, Lord, thank you for the culture of faith, liberating truth in Christ. Let's say, Father, we thank you. The word is working in your life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, that word that came today is going to give a few people husbands. Amen. Men will marry because they were here this evening. Amen. And they will be happy. Amen. They will be fruitful. Amen. They will increase. In the name of Jesus. Amen. That's how the word works. So I know husbands especially have been released this evening. Amen. I say amen if you believe it. Amen. No, there are different kinds of, uh, some people will be engaged uh, eight years, they are planning. They finally married. I know one brother, he gave me like seven years or eight. Some one year, mine was a year and a half. No, it was not up to a year and a half. It was a year. Yes, just about 11 months and a half. I met my wife like six months before that. But I know one brother. From the day he saw the woman for the first time till the day that they married was three months. Last I knew then they were still happily married. It's called a quick walk in righteousness. Now that will be somebody's testimony in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, I'm serious about that. I feel so strong in my heart. Before four months is over, a man you have not yet met as of today, you will be married to him. Amen. If a man here wants that kind of testimony, also say amen. amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is a lie that you need long courtship. It's not true. I'm not teaching on that now. I'm not doing marriage seminar. It is a lie. What did I say? It's a lie. It's a lie. There are people that have courted for three years, married and divorced after three months. Yes. Like my friend in town here, who I talk about, never met his wife. They never seen each other. They spoke on the phone a few times. On the, yeah, they paid bright price for her. They had married her before they met. Not 19th century. It's a person in this town today. And they've married now for about 15 years, and they're happy. So forget this long courtship thing. And if you're looking for long courtship, forget him saying amen to my prayer. Those who need a quick walk in righteousness, receive it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you, because you are building the culture of Christ in us. You are building the culture of faith in our lives. You are building a culture of faith in our environment through us. We give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ. It's well with you as you go. Goodness and mercy will follow you. Favor will follow you. Great doors will open for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Those coming from.